Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello there, Steve. We have a slightly different episode today as we're joined not by a musician, but by someone who's dedicated their life to supporting and promoting bands and musicians. Pete Cole is the brains behind the Farnborough Groove compilations, a series of releases which now spans 30 years. As far as the podcast goes, Ben, he's someone who plays a vital role in his community and reaching out beyond. He does, mate. This is this is like a story beamed in from another age, isn't it? It's proper old school style, forged with phone boxes and photocopiers and cassettes, and it fits right into kind of that original idea around demos and making your demos, chucking them in the post. And he is, yeah, like you said, one of those kind of drivers, literally in some cases, a driver, the kind of a kind of supporter of a local music scene. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. He um is and I would imagine if you go into a lot of go into any communities where there's a there's a where there's a bunch of bands playing, there are these characters very much like the the role that Pete plays of like just doing that, doing the driving, helping bands, lugging gear, it just for the love of music and for the love of the scene and for a, you know a, a dedication and a passion towards live music and grassroots music um, that just becomes everything for them. And that's, uh, uh, they're vital people in those communities. I mean, I remember those folks from from my kind of formative years in bands, and I'm sure you do too. And Pete, Pete's really emblematic of all that, isn't he? Yes, and I was going to say the same thing. You know, we've been playing music for, well, for decades and certainly had people like of a similar nature to Pete that helps out that whether that was driving you to and from gigs or doing other stuff to kind of sort you and get you on your way. But they're, yeah, they are, they were vital, you know, essential to, to getting started as a, as a young musician, aren't they? Yeah. I always felt like I had like a bit of guilt attached to that stuff it's like do you, you really you want to just help you want to give us money you want to you know just the, the people who just got on board with the with the cause if you like and championed the bands in the in the town yeah but when you hear i mean it makes sense doesn't it when you hear some of pete's stories deeper into the episode when he's talking about the fact that he you know he didn't ever have a you know he just, just defines himself as not having any musical ability but has a love of musical and a passion for the scene it's a role to play isn't it to get involved to be in 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 and around music and uh yeah if you if you don't have the desire or the you know perceived ability to be a musician yourself it's a way of getting involved with stuff isn't it i mean i wondered what would be the, the sort of present day equivalent of a pete cole what kind of what kind of role would they play because things have changed so much haven't they would it be someone that kind of starts a, a small label or i don't know i suppose there's so many so many different tools available to people these days aren't they if you think about Bandcamp and social media and you know potentially you could spread the word almost instantly if you wanted to you know to get the word out there and and the sort of time and era that pete's reflecting on it was much much more hard work wasn't it i think yeah, hard, a different sort of hard work because there was, because the opportunities or um, the kind of avenues were a little bit clearer and less cluttered, yes. <laughs> maybe previously. Yeah. And yeah. now there's just so much competition, so much noise that actually the, the 
a kind of equivalent modern day equivalent of Pete Cole is someone who just sits on the on their laptop or on their phone you know endlessly <laughs> posting <laughs> and reposting and linking and connecting up all the kind of digital dots to uh, to keep that presence going and to and to give people all the kind of content and stuff that they want because um, you can imagine uh, band members who maybe are proactive with that stuff but not you need someone pushing that don't you, you need someone and it's this it's that it's the kind of modern equivalent of what pete did of photocopying his fanzines at work and getting covered in oh, toner yeah. Oh, yeah. you know and or or, <laughs> yes. or posters and going out to the local kebab shop that that's there's a physical that's the physical manifestation of what people are doing now yeah yeah yeah, digitally, yeah. and you know. for sure and and this episode's got some nice reflections on the kind of north london scene that um, Pete was involved in with the with the bands that he was promoting and supporting, you know, around those kind of essential Camden venues, the Monarch and the Falcon, Dublin Castle, Bullingate. And there's, you know, we know that there's still a sort of vibrant community now that's kind of celebrates how that kind of scene evolved. And if, if you take it back in time, that was the first sort of um, formation of, of, a, of a music circuit that people playing in bands could link into. You know, it, it, you know, that didn't exist, didn't exist before that. Before that, it was pay to play, you know, which is just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? So there's there's something to be celebrated there. Yeah, absolutely. And we've not talked about pay to play at all. It would be really interesting to get that from somebody, you know, who uh, uh, speak to somebody from uh, who's got experience of that. I mean, I know I have. Did you ever do it? uh well i think i think over the years <laughs> but no i no, never specifically paid to play yeah Though on some on some instances I certainly lost a lot of money thanks to pete for coming on the show um and for being so generous with his time and also sharing all of the stories from his time um making and releasing the farnborough groove um if you would like to go over to apple hq and leave us a five-star review and some nice words that would be great help us spread the word well we discovered the other day uh that at one point this podcast what number did we get to in the podcast uh, charts to, oh, 63 i can't remember what it was now 46 46, okay. 46, 46 or something yeah, yeah. was it <laughs> 110 <laughs> anyway help us break into the top 40 people come on it's what we've always wanted it's what we've always wanted yeah now we want you to go over to listen to episode 41 of Songs from a Padded Envelope with Pete Cole. Um, hi, my name is Pete Cole. I'm put to, I put together the Farmer Groove compilation and the songs you're going to hear, the first one being After the Dream from 1991 with Diamond in the Dust and the second track, 30 Years Later, um, Atlantic Fire, and carry your own weight well thanks so much for coming on the podcast pete as you know uh we got in touch after our episode uh with sid stovold from the band who moved the ground so could we just start with you telling us your memories of that band as part of the farnborough groove scene <laughs> wow where do i start um <laughs> i kind of got the band i introduced Sid to the other three guys. I knew Sid from local the local music scene, uh, Mega City Four, um, were a band we both adored. Uh, and I introduced Sid to Les, um, the bass player, Richard the singer, and John the, the then drummer, the first drummer. Oh, back in nineteen eighty nine, I think it was. 
I first met Sid about 86, um, when we were both a lot younger than we are now. Um, still haven't learned very much, really, but <laughs> we're still doing this music thing. Uh, yeah, and basically I... I, I never officially managed them in any capacity like that, but I got behind them and I drove them everywhere because they weren't old enough to drive at the time, bless them. Drive the van, drive the fans around, helped them book some gigs. Um, yeah, some fantastic memories from those days. Um, a lot of it blurs into one. Um, just fun, really, just meeting an awful lot of people along the way. Some um, nice people getting lost, trying to find venues. <laughs> yeah it's just brilliant um up and down the country really do you remember one particular um gig they play they play the cavern in liverpool which is pretty pretty cool uh well, it's definitely on sid's um list but he's played there about four or five times now i think over the years but um they played there um and my poor blue chevette it it used to belong to the um next door neighbor who did the school run in it so it went just down the road and in the first week, I did something like, I don't know, 2,000 miles or something stupid like that, um, <laughs> just up and down the country. And um, all the, the band would be in the car, all their gear. I mean, I don't even see a Chevette. They're not big, not particularly. It's like a hatchback yeah. Chevette. And I do remember one day, um, I had to brake quite heavily for some reason, and the guitar came flying across the back of the car and took my head off while I was while I was driving the car. I was got decapitated by uh, one of the guy's guitars in its case. Yeah. Gave me a hell of a headache. So, um, <laughs> I bet it did. <laughs> sorry, that, that's a bit of a tangent. I tend to do that. Um, yeah, Liverpool, we drove all the way there. They played a cracking gig. Uh, got invited to stay, but I think I was doing a, a day really, a, a day at college at that time for my work. And I was sort of, normally I could have skived off, but that day I had to be back. I don't know why I bothered because it was like six o'clock in the morning. And I'd be at college for nine or whatever. Um, but the car literally, when it, it literally stalled just so I got, got home. It just died. The engine just died right outside my house, and it didn't work again for six months. The engine blew up, but it got us home. It could have <laughs> blown up an hour before or a few hours before, but he decided to give up the ghost just as it literally rolled into the sort of, um, well, by the side of the road where I used to live in, in Farnborough. And then it didn't work for a long time after that. Couldn't afford to get another <laughs> engine for it. So um, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, yeah, lo- love those guys. My pet band, as it were, and I watched them go from being pretty average, well, in fact, bloody awful to start with. They, Richard, really could not sing for Toffee, and they just got better and better and better. And you know, along the way, they supported Oasis, Chumbawamba, the Buzzcocks. Um, so yeah, I, they play. I was just saying they played um, about 500 shows between '89 and '96, and I think I went to most of them. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen um, my website. It's got all the um, Farmer Grooves listed and who was on them, um, all 12 volumes and, and the best of. Um, we have bands like Blue Velvet, actually, who I actually officially, was the first band I officially managed. Um, again, friends that I met along the way. Uh, and the front man, Pat, was in a band called West One. Um, who were banned from Aldershot. In fact, West One is how I met Sid back in 86. Um, yeah, met him at their gigs, got, got chatting, got to know him, all before social media, of course. Went to an awful lot of gigs, most nights of the week. Um, 
you know, living at home in those days, you know, more money to, to to spend. But it was only that small little gigs. It wasn't the big ones you have to pay a fortune to get in. It's usually like the Bulling Gate in London quite was a favourite. We get the gig guide and the NME and think, oh, they sound good. <laughs> off we go. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, sometimes you find an amazing band, you might find another pants. It, just, it really does depend, you know. And the whole concept of the Farmer Groove, really, back 30 years ago now, well, actually over 30 years ago, the idea before it came out, obviously, um, I think actually it came to me in a dream one day that um, why not put these bands on a compilation tape, sell it at local shops and at gigs and help promote the bands? Because most musicians, as you probably know, are rubbish at promoting themselves and sort of self-promotion. Um, so I thought, so probably the first the half the tape were bands I actually knew were friends with that I'd go and see regularly, um, and sort of word of mouth um, managed to sort of fill up the rest of the tape. So we, it was sold in like um, the George and Ashvale, which was actually the front cover of the tape, because all the bands played that pub, awful pub, sticky carpet, <laughs> you know, and you know, but it was legendary in its own in its own way. Even though it was a complete dump. As long as it's been knocked down now, it's says it all really. Um, yeah, with After Dream, Blue Velvet, Exploded, another great band. Um, the Sack, uh, Phobia. Yeah, some just really, really good stuff. But Mega City 4, who were Farmers mentioned before, were thought Farmers at the time could have been going places. They they gave me a song as well, which is pretty good, which helped sell loads on the back of that, which means other people obviously got to hear the song they wanted, plus loads more. Was the Mega City 4 track on the first compilation? Yeah, it's a live version of one of the uh, singles, uh, Distant Relatives. So, yeah. I'm just looking at the sleeve now, Pete, actually, of the of, of the, f- the, the the first um, Farmer Groove Volume 1 tape, uh, sold for £2. Oh, um, yeah, bargain. And it's, a, it, it's yeah, an absolute bargain. One of the things that I really love about it is uh, the two telephone numbers, um, it's all nicely printed, kind of you know, typed out and everything, and then <laughs> the ex- the extension written in biro <laughs> for the daytime phone number, which is just fantastic. And um, and your home address and phone number, uh, it, like petitioning for bands right. to get involved, and um, anyone interested in appearing on the Farnborough Groove Volume <laughs> Two. So you were already set on doing the next one. Uh, I think it was a gamble, actually, really, because my mate who was in one of the bands that was, did the artwork said, well, do you want to put that on there? I was like, oh, go on then, see so what happens. And, yeah, people sent me tapes for the post. It seems like such a – well, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> 30 years. But oh, I think the second one came out the following year. Um, I, think it was, I think it was a gamble to put it on there, but it paid off, yeah, and it, it then sort of became – yeah, quite you know, quite well known, really. It was quite quite a short sort of space of time, really. It was um, yeah. sold in the local at the at the George and Ashvale beyond the bar. I had a nice poster made up for that. Um, all the local sort of venues like the George. Um, the, one of the funniest bits actually is um, skip forward a bit. Oh, what number was it? Number Farmer Group Volume Three from '93. Um, I don't know if you've got a copy there. It's got a picture of the kebab and burger on the front in Farnborough because all the all the bands used to go there after their gigs, even with their local ones, or come back come back from London or whatever, down the N three, off of Farnborough, opposite the old tumble down. There's the um kebab and burger. And I sold them in there and I'm sure that um 
they sold Farmer Grooves without people even knowing what they were buying. I think they go in there half cut and buy a kebab and chips uh, or whatever and end up with a Farmer Groove in their pocket when they, when they get home. <laughs> And be like two pounds sort of light in their change, and you know, and, and I'll, I'll go in there. Oh, have you sold any? Oh, yeah, can you give us another 50? Like, what the guys at the Farmer Kebab and Burger did, did be a lot of good. Uh, they sold a lot of tapes uh, for two quid a pop. Oh, it's genius market, it's a genius bit of marketing, isn't it? That, that this is where the people are going. You, you've got it behind the bar. I mean, presumably in a local record shop or something, but then oh, sorry, yeah, the, local the, shop. Local, <laughs> the local kebab shop because you know full well that that's where. Your audience is going to be. That's right. I mean, can I use your, you know, your, your short front on the cover? No, of course you can. You know, it helps us. So, uh, and, and the Kebab Burger is still there. I'm not sure it's the same people. Uh, I've been there for a long time, but I do pass, drive past it and smile every time. And just skipping through my website, all the, the bands on it, it's like, oh, wow. All of them have kind of got a memory associated with them, you know, for different reasons, you know, because um, some were really good. Some weren't so good. Um but yeah, it's a real snapshot of what was going on at that time. One one of the things that I loved when I was I was checking out all the different Farmer Groove compilations was how you sort of nurtured the bands across the whole series. You know, you stuck with bands and and they were um, coming back and again and again onto the compilations, and how you, you must have made that investment in kind of bringing them to sort of fruition. I, I guess I just I'm, I like to think I'm supportive. Uh, offer my advice. Um, I mean, I had a chat with a mate of mine. He's he's, he's been a liberator. He's been on weird enough. He had he was like around in the nineties, and I think he basically got married, had a family, um, and he's now back doing it. He said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've got this really song." I said, "How long's the song?" Oh, about five and a half minutes. I was like, uh, 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 uh. "That's far too long. They never get played anywhere." It's just so he I think he chopped a, chopped a verse out or something like that and made it a bit shorter. You know, the perfect pop song is what, you know, it's supposed to be two and a half, three minutes, isn't it? So, you know, I think people listen to me when it comes to things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I did earn the nickname, some cringy of Uncle Pete from a few bands, which sounds, sounds a bit so dodgy now, it's unreal. But it didn't at the time. That's, uh, really, that's really nice. You mentioned uh, at the, uh, the, the, the uh, talking about the first one, about um, after the first volume came out, bands started sending you demo tapes so i mean that's obviously very much um at the heart of what this podcast is about is that idea of bands getting their demos demo tapes into the hands of people like you who are supportive of the local scene or can help push their the bands and raise profiles and that kind of thing so how, what was the process like for you for when those when those tape tapes arrived i'm imagining that you're somebody who's so supportive of the local scene and passionate about what you're doing that you gave them all you know sort of your due the due care and attention but just can you just sort of describe to us what your your process was like and the sorts of things that were arriving with you when you first started doing this well i, I also used to write a fanzine as well which kind of went sort of hand in hand with it called, called home and away i really don't know why i called it home and away because it's really awful <laughs> so australian soap opera of course <laughs> but, you know the same logo so i didn't get sued um so i used to sort of review stuff as well as maybe consider it for the farmer groove but yeah i mean i i i've been i've got to know a few sort of like major players in the music industry like i i know simon williams from fierce panda records who I don't even know your, your, your music, but he released the first Coldplay song, for example. I did, I think. You know, really, really good bloke. And um, 
I remember I was in Camden one night on with a an in, inter uh, demo tape band that I sort of take I've just taken on uh, again lifelong friends of mine and um oh my friends are in a band and he's I can watch his eyes roll you know you're just oh god no not another one because I mean because I mean to be fair I think the 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 ratio of wow this is brilliant to this is absolute pants is like one to one in a hundred or something like that but you just don't know what you're going to get so not for it's come don't I? um you don't know what you're going to get because it might be an absolute amazing find you know you might i mean i can't stand oasis bad example but it might be the next oasis you know you just, you just don't know you don't bother to play it you know especially it was a tape and you couldn't really with a cd or digital you can just click through you know you can skip a little bit with a tape you can't really can you so uh not easily anyway but, I mean, I got to the point that if I'll be out somewhere, usually at a gig, oh, oh yeah, yeah, you Pete, yeah, yeah, oh, I'm in a band. I used to think, oh, God, you're going to be shit, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but please prove me wrong, you know. And, I've, you know, I even had business cards made up. That's how sad I am, you know, at the time. <laughs> I, you know, here's my dresses on that. Yes, sure, send me something. And, um, yeah, in fact, one of the songs on the Farmer Groove 11, the very last track, I've got a really weird, band, really weird name what they called they're called you know uno comma y-u-n-o-k-o-m-a he emailed me which was obviously the modern way of doing it a few years ago i said oh you know i'm in a band you know check out check us out i've attached a, a rough demo and i thought oh, God, here we go and i was absolutely blown away by it that's probably my favorite song on volume 11 it's alphabetical order so it's the very last track song called see you in heaven it's just a really good catchy little pop song you were you were talking about managing inter and we i was talking with a mutual friend of mine and steve's tonight um um who you you know paul carter who used to work at the monarch and oh paul uh, yeah 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 so he was sharing memories of, about you managing inter <laughs> oh and, god uh, what did he say <laughs> it's all lies <laughs> uh, what, what what took you from from doing the compilations to then deciding to manage a band and take that take that further forward well, um, actually, ironically, uh, some bands have got it and some bands haven't. You know, um, some bands can be absolutely brilliant to listen to on a recording from the studio, but they've got nothing to offer live. You know, they just go through the motions. And but with with Inter, who came out of well, a system who moved the ground, as you probably know, um, along with John, the original drummer from Who Moved the Ground, plus two of the guys from the band called the River Thieves, who it's quite funny because Who Moved the Ground were quite punky, scary, indie, whatever you want to call them. Um, quite unique in a, in a lot of ways. And the River Thieves were basically, I mean, my, my favourite band of all time are U2. I've had a lot of stick for that over the years, but I'll stand by it. I've loved them um, since I was 14, you know, and I'm <clears throat> 52 now. Um, absolutely loved them. And the River Thieves were basically a very much a U2, Simple Minds type band, so I absolutely loved them. But when you mix yeah. up or punky indie scary stuff with U2, you, you get into about a stadium Mega City 4, stadium rock version of Mega City. It's very hard to explain. And um, the Manic Street features makes the wonder stuff. We I don't know why we used that on our flyers to start with, but we did. That's probably my idea. Trying to just trying to get the interest of those bands fans into checking out a new band. Um, but when interest started to take off. Um, the only farmer groove I haven't actually compiled was volume seven from 97 with the review uh, into timeline. That's kind of when it all started to take off. 
Um, right. But I got a friend of the band, a guy called Matt, um, who was like a, a young young guy at the time, uh, to talk to do volume seven, and um, under the proviso he put into on the, as the first track. Obviously, it's a prime spot in those days because it's a tape. Um, so, but I've always sort of juggled balls. I've always written a fanzine, done a farmer groove, um, managed bands like Blue Velvet, which is my learning curve, really. Um, best thing I ever did was get a gig at the George in Asheville. Not really the lifetime's achievement, is it? Uh, but I got better and <laughs> to know people. Um, you know, you start somewhere, I suppose. Um, I mean, my advice to anyone who wants to sort of manage a band, just talk to people network you've got to follow up every little lead i mean it's easy now with email and skype or whatever you want to call it blah blah, blah. Uh, but you know you can't be going to a gig and talking to people and have a little well a demo tape in our day but i mean i remember went to the monarch in camden up there all the time sid and i as i said earlier and um bumped to, to david album from blur in fact two, two different occasions actually he was there and I, I gave him a demo, I gave him a copy of the into demo tape. Got nothing to lose of you. Price for tape. So if you like it, you know, give us tour support, <laughs> you know, or pass it on <laughs> to your, you know, your A and R guy. And I did actually get a phone call from some guy from Food Records um, the next day. So he, he did. He, he passed it on. You know, I said we really like it, but we can't do anything with it. But they actually gave us some feedback and said, you know, can't remember what their advice was now, but it was a demo recorded in the barn. So you know, it wasn't you know going to be that great. That must have been really encouraging to get that phone call. Cause quite often these things fall on deaf ears, don't they? And you know that's the that's the end of that. You've passed it on; it's gone in the bin. But really encouraging to as a, the, for the manager in the band to get that call from the label. It actually happened with another band. Now, who was it? It was a band. It wasn't Supergrass, but it was a band that the drummer was in around the time that Supergrass was like really big. Oh, mm. it's annoying me now what they were called. They'll find the water rats anyway. I think we just went down there just to sort of hang out, be seen, put stickers in the toilets, you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, uh, band stickers, that is. Um, it was the guy who managed Radiohead, um, also managed this Supergrass. And again, he, he rang me the next day as well, or a few days later, and to say, you know, thanks, but no thanks, but, you know, good luck with it. I sure really like it, you know, and we, I'd heard of you guys anyway. I'm like, oh, really? You know, but it's a shame because um, I got a bank loan um, from Abbey National, as it was. Um, I had so much faith in those guys. Um, and I got like a sort of £2,000 back loan to pay for a CD pressing and a bit of press or whatever. Um, <laughs> to add to my debts, music's made me very skint over the years. Wouldn't change it for the world, though. Not change it for the world. I mean, Farmer Groove is always lost, lost money, because I used to have loads of spare CDs and suppose spare tapes. And, you know, anyway, that's another tangent. Um, uh, I was just talking about. Uh, you were you were talking about investing two thousand pounds. Yeah, in Inter, yeah, and we paid for the happy ending single, which came out on again um, on the Pet Sounds local label, but it wasn't really on Pet Sounds. I paid for it, and they gave me the logo. Pet Sounds was a label set up by a guy called John Eidman, who used to manage Suede and before they made it and made it, um, and another guy, right? Another guy called was it Two Johns. Oh, I can't quite remember. But they'll, they'll it, it got it got it got reviewed in the enemy. Um, Steve Mac played it a bit. John Peel loved it. They got the John Peel session. The thing the thing is, if you've got it, as I keep saying, it things come to you a bit easier. Generally, 
you have to to me punk rock is about doing things for yourself getting out there and playing gigs reaching your own records meeting people networking you know and enjoying it you know that's the whole point of it um but it obviously helps you've got the dare i say the x factor nothing to do with mr cowell know the natural x factor which inter had they were just funny on stage but not in like a comedy act kind of funny but it was just the banter was just it was just all you know made up on the spot you know and it was just it it added to the whole the whole package i mean they were quite geeky looking as well the enemy thought it's hilariously all wore glasses but only three of them did actually as it goes but um they got kind of cool one review said they were like 1974 university challenge students which I thought was, thought was hilarious. Um, Steve, Simon Williams gave them their first enemy review, gave them a quarter of a page. He absolutely loved them at the Dublin Castle in Camden. Um, but sadly, despite all the interest, I was getting calls you know, from John Peel's assistant. Would the lads like to do a Peel session? Oh, yes, please. So I went to the Maid of Vale with them, actually. That's an exciting thing to say. I actually, well, tell, uh, us about, tell us about that. That must have been amazing for you. Well, it's actually quite on rock and roll we did it on a sunday um which meant no one was there uh had we chosen a saturday there might have been some more celebrities in the in the uh, bbc canteen it was just us in there so that's a bit disappointing but it's any day people could do because of work or whatever and that kind of thing but we're waiting outside outside and this old guy turned up on a push bike we thought oh we can't be the engineer it's pretty rock and roll is it you know and it, it was um mike somebody i can't remember enals enals or something like that. i need to look it up so sort of changed his bike up to the rail. We thought, this ain't rock and roll, is it? But, um, <laughs> but we let us in, got the gear in and everything. And um, I had a real swan tap moment. Um, I went for a wander um, and made a Vale Studios. It's like a, a rabbit warren of like corridors. And I got completely lost. Um, trying to find my way back to where the band were. I've gone for about half an hour. <laughs> where have you been? Um, no, we're looking at you. Got lost? No, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, that, that was quite amusing. Uh, I've had more than one, more than one Spinal Tap experience in my lifetime. I've been lost backstage at the Civic Hall um, before now as well. And the, the old Civic Hall, bless its, bless its, you know, bless its heart, that used to be there. It's G Live now, of course. Um, yeah. So with the inter, I just it was. A lot of fun, a lot of driving on the motorway, a lot of G4's van hire. <laughs> Those vans, I think they replaced them now. They were just clapped out old vans that didn't didn't work properly half the time. And you'd be like, you get the van, you think, oh, please don't be the one that's got the lumpy seat. We're driving to Hull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it was right between your bum cheeks. It was just like all the way there, you know. Um, actually, actually, Hull, that wasn't into, that's Atomica, another band that I managed that sort of, Travelled around the, around the country in a transit van uh, and my car. So you managing doing your management stuff alongside a day job as well? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funded, it basically funded uh, um, getting out and about. Yeah, um, yeah. For many years, I worked at the REA at Farnborough, uh, which basically funded my fancy photocopying. Not that they knew about it. Um, they they and, do now. <laughs> Uh, well, we got maybe done from there about 20 years ago, so I think they finally did catch up with me in the end. But yeah, I mean, that number written on the Farmer Group tape, 2491, which is my old extension number, I still remember it like yesterday. Uh, I didn't get any official work phone calls on it at all, just stuff about the band, and, you know. Brilliant. Quite, quite funny. But yeah, I, I managed to sort of, we got two new photocopiers for two different offices that were adjacent to each other, and I thought, oh, chest these out. And I used to go in after hours, and I ran out of toner on both of them. And I thought, 
oh, I better replace it. And this is no word of a lie. I didn't know what I was doing. And I ripped this box and I was completely covered in toner. And I, you know, it's probably about half past 11 at night, you know, because um, <laughs> I, actually I actually knew the guys on the gate, which obviously helped a bit because they think they knew I was up to no good. to come in after hours. Everyone else had gone home. But I, I went into the, 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 the toilet and there's no literally, oh, I had a black face and when I took my glasses off. I had like two white eyes. <laughs> you know, just like one day, I think one day this would be funny, but I couldn't wipe it off or anything. It was just oh, it was everywhere. It's in my ears, and uh, and I got oh I, I got a knock on the on the um on the loo door on the main door for the loo, and I was just like, what the hell was that? It was one of the security guys. Are you all right, mate? Said, and he looks like he's in a ghost. I was like, no, it's toner. It's all right. <laughs> it's quite funny. So, uh, but yeah, I managed to sort of go and have a sort of a, a, a shower. I managed to get it all off, but um, that was trying to photocopy the the. Uh, the the home and away fanzine, uh, sort of prints 500 double sided go, you know, and then run next door and do it the same over there as well. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure they can't see me now all these years later, can they? Um, I think it's safe. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's quite quite funny. I mean, I thought things you do for rock and roll, you're covered in toner. I mean, in my time, let's go through from the beginning. I've Blue Velvet, the first band I sort of cut my teeth with. Um, helped out home with the ground. Never officially managed them at all. Never, never got asked. Never really thought about it to be honest. I just was like, you know, I think I was, to, I was called the fifth member many a time, which is quite sweet. You know, the, you know behind the scenes, unofficial fifth member. Um, I managed a band called Bloom, who very much teenage fan club kind the sound, but they really didn't get it at all. You know, I was trying to talk about the networking thing and being seen, and they just left it to me really. So, uh, but uh, they were they were good though. Um, a band called, called Vox Pop, who uh, they're going to oh, not a mod band, Pete. They're a bit of a mod band from from Woking, which is a bit of a cliche, I know, with the jam coming from Woking. But um, really good pop songs, really sort of energetic, Rickenbacker kind of sound to the whole thing. Um, mm. They were a bit of a nightmare to work with, though. The first to admit it. Um, and then I basically sort of uh, retired from the music from band management. Because I came to the conclusion that no one actually was interested in the bands I was managing. I mean, you always get a few people, but never enough. You know, you think this band is fantastic. Why won't the world listen? It'd be really frustrated at times. Um, mm. And then after a long, long break, um, I started working in in Ripley after getting made redundant from the REE, as I said before, probably for breaking their photocopiers. Um, uh, I was in just being a bachelor boy at the time. I used to go to the local pub. Um, in Ripley and get me get a pub lunch every day and um, got to chat to a guy called Will who says I'm in a band and of course I thought oh god here we go again you know we said, we're on MySpace check us out MySpace there you go uh, the Facebook predecessor and um, I've checked them out and I was absolutely blown away a song called Get On which is the first thing I heard by and they recorded in their own sort of little studio you know, their own little demo and there's a lot of um, sort of U2 in it I could hear and Bands like Snow Patrol, um, Doves, all the stuff that you know, rocks my boat, really. And um, yeah, I managed them for like two years, I think, before it all sort of went a bit, you know, went, went tits up basically. But um, but they put a single out. Um, but again, the, I know I shouldn't hark on about it or keep comparing bands to Inter, but Inter were like a blueprint for me because um, it just came so naturally and just you know. The bounce factor. I was watching an old video that's filmed um, in '97. In fact, it's on YouTube. Um, and it's just really funny. <laughs> the whole it just took me back. You know, a really hot and sweaty gig, and they're just you know prancing around, jumping up and down, really going for it. You know, 
satellite state who the band that I took took on from Ripley, I still love them to this day, really love them to bits, but there was just no real drive to sort of get out there and, and do anything, you know, and uh, so I suppose, I mean, some bands, you, you can just do nothing and you you get your you door knocked on by all the A&R people, but, you know, I still think there's something to be done with, something to be said for getting out off your arse and, and networking, playing gigs as much as you can, getting better, getting, you know, make make it more tune you know what's the word just make yourself best as you possibly can you know any way you need to do that is yeah. to play live of course poor bands the last you know year or so with covid that's been very difficult i'll tell you a funny story about um camden um do you remember three colors red remember the band three colors yeah, red? sure yeah um well i knew the guitarist ben because he was in the senseless things before who i adored omega city fours friends and sort of gig with them a lot kind of got to know ben the guitarist when they split he was in Three colours red, but I got to know Chris McCormick a little bit, and every time I went to Camden, I'd always bump into him. It was it was comical, really. And I remember one day I had um, I gave him an, an Atomica badge, uh, and he's like, "Oh, cheers!" And he put it in his pocket. And the following week, um, almost the same place, coming out of um, a pub, the bottom of Parkway, it's Chris McCormick. I said, oh, do, you, do you want a badge? I've got one. Have you? So yeah, and he unzipped his jacket and pulled out the badge from the week before. Yeah, it was still in his pocket, which I just thought was hilarious. So um, yeah, but yeah, he's sort of um, he's a good bloke, Chris McCormack. He's I think he's a promoter these days. Does sort of festivals around Camden, I think. So I haven't seen him for a while. I don't don't go go to Camden much these days, to be fair. So um, you know, maybe I'm too old for it now. Why? Why you? What what are your memories from that from that North London from the Camden sort of circuit scene then, Pete? What are your overriding feelings about that? Chris and Chris, I love the Monarch, uh, the original Monarch uh, on Chalk Farm. Um, love the Falcon, absolute fleep it though. I mean, it smelled of smelled of shit. It it did, you know. It just it stank. You know, it was horrible. But it was freezing cold as well. But it's just something about always it. cold. Yeah. Oh, I just get shivers thinking about it. Um, um, I do remember seeing uh, Bangle Pharmacy, which was the new band at the time from uh, Craig Walker from Power Dreams, another band that I absolutely adore from Dublin. Um, they were playing there, and it was like five people watching. You know, it was just like, you know, Power Dreams were like going to be the next U2 only a few years before I mean, that. they really were, weren't they? When they first came out, there was so much, so much buzz around them. Yeah, and I mean, but no pressure on the teenagers, you know, poor lads. Yeah, exactly, I think. yeah. It, well... My my thought, Pete, was it just sounds like it's impossible for you to walk away from it, you know, like the, your your involvement, your dedication to you sort of supporting the local scene and then delving into the management. You just you can't you can't do anything. You can't contain yourself from getting involved, can you? <laughs> uh, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> much to my wife's dismay, occasionally, you know. So um, although she's very understanding, I'm looking at her now actually, and she's uh, giving me a funny look. <laughs> I think I think she knows. I think she now realizes that to me, it's not just going to a gig, watching it, and going home. <laughs> it's you know, it's. I mean, sometimes between us guys, it can be a little bit. Sometimes I, I get too involved, and I know too much, and it can take away. Does that make sense? You know, uh, yeah, I do tend to get sort of maybe a bit too close sometimes, and. You know, it can be a bit awkward when you know too much, and I don't know. You know, perhaps I need to take a backward step sometimes, but I never do. You know, so um, 
yeah, that's that's the only downside I can think of. Sometimes I do get a bit too I do get a bit too close to it, and get quite upset when a band decide to call it a day or whatever, and you know, and I just think they could do so much more, and you know. But I mean, you look at my record collection; it's like, oh, what happened to them? Oh, they should have been massive. Oh, they weren't, you know. Oh, and them, you know. It's my record collection's littered with that, you know. Um, I mean, there's bands like. Um, Power Dreams, Something Happens, another Irish band. I absolutely adored them as well. In fact, I met Craig and Power Dreams at one of their gigs, which is like, you know, a half show party of Something Happens. Again, 30 something years ago. Um, sorry, I was a tangent there. Sorry, I can't remember what she was talking about. I had a job interview. I, I went for a job interview um, a few years ago and um, I came out thinking, oh God, I didn't actually answer one question. I was just a tangent. And um, the feedback to the um, agency was, he doesn't keep on top and keep on topic at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's me. I am Mr. Tangent, and I never forget what I was talking about to start with. Oh, you were mentioning something happens, and actually, uh, we uh, Ben and I uh, and our friend Nanis made a, a, a documentary about the Reading Festival a few years back now um, uh, about the 1989 Reading Festival. Oh yeah, they interviewed they did, yeah. So we went over to uh, Ireland and interviewed Tom Dunn. Oh, really? Because uh, yeah. we interviewed all the bands that played at the, at the 89 Festival um, for this documentary because it was the year that the, the festival changed from being a metal festival into what it is now. Uh, so, yeah, we tried to speak to at least one person from every band for, from the main stage. Apart from and, Billy Bragg. Uh, Apart from Billy Bragg, who yeah. we stalked and, and never quite managed to speak to, <laughs> but we did get we did we did manage to go over and speak to to, to Tom, which was a very nice weekend in Dublin. Pete, did you ever have any aspirations to be a musician yourself? I can't play a note. I am absolutely tone deaf. Um, a bit unfair because my brothers, even though they've never really pursued it, uh, my elder brother can play bass, and uh, my brother Steve did actually double the clarinet. Um, actually it was quite painful growing up to that but he could do more than I could <laughs> but how, how I come I got completely lost you know in the gene pool my dad could play the my dad was like um, a bit like uh, Les Dawson he could play but he always make the same bum note in the same place <laughs> quite quite funny bless him um, I didn't get any musical genes whatsoever but I like to sort of be involved in behind the scenes I say behind the scenes I mean I've been out with Inter in London and I go on about networking, and people. I was at the Water Rats one night with all the all the guys from Inter, and this guy said, "Oh my God, you're you're the thingy you manage Inter." And I'm like, "I do, but the band are actually with me right next to me, so she recognised yeah. me and not the band, which I thought was absolutely hilarious." Pete, a long time back in the conversation, you mentioned the punk and how that kind of in, informed stuff for you. Was that what kind of kicked? A love of music off for you or was there a specific sort of moment in punk that kind of resonated with you um well as i mentioned earlier i'm 52 53 this year so the punk the first time around was before my time but um turning point was seeing the, the alarm remember the alarm from wales um on top of the pops in 1983 september 83 playing 68 guns um I remember seeing it on breakfast telly uh, just before I went to Scotland on off after school, and absolutely blew me away. And um, the band that I've probably seen the most since 1985. Um, my first gig was the Alarm, first proper gig, as in like not a festival. If, if it was a festival, it would have been Greenbelt and Classics Nouveau. 
which is half cool, half not. Um, that, actually, it wasn't even classic new vocal. It was Sal Solo playing solo with a band. <laughs> Sal Solo, Sal Solo, Solo. solo. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that, that was about eighty-four, and I never forget his head was steaming like a. No, 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 there's no tomorrow. He obviously, but yeah, his steam was raising from his head. Uh, um, first proper proper gig, but was the alarm supported by back with the Faith Brothers at Guildford Civic Hall, 22nd of May, 1985, and I was 16. And um, that was kind of like year zero for me, really. Um, and then because of the alarm, I then sort of checked out who they were influenced by. So the Clash and the Jam. Um, Sif Little Fingers, and I actually, weirdly enough, I found a tape uh, on on the road outside a record shop, a record shop in Fleet called Markwell Records. Um, a tape without a box, all Stiff Little Fingers, all the best, uh, their best of. And I thought, oh, I love that. And yeah, it didn't have a track listing because I didn't have a box for years. I didn't know what the songs were called, but I played this tape until my car got broken into and he got stolen a few years later. Um, that's another story. But um, so, yeah, Stiff Little Fingers, The Clash, The Jam. Um, yeah, it kind of like, made, well, actually, I knew The Jam because of the singles, of course, you know, when you're sort of, you know, 1981, whatever. Um, but didn't know the albums then. Um, and also my first girlfriend was a, a modette and she had Snap by The Jam at their best of. And I remember borrowing that off her and, and you know, sort of just after they split, so 14, 15 years old. So, um, so yeah, the the alarm have got a lot to answer for, and um, very un very uncool at the time. By they were slaughtered by the music press, but in a weird sort of twist of irony or whatever you want to call it, they can now kind of like been seen as like the you know, I mean they influenced Green Day big time. Um, in fact, there's a Green Day song that basically borrows 68 Guns' sort of middle bit big time but then you find out they're massive fans Buddy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins is a massive fan of the alarm they'd have thought that um, but it's true you know and they toured with U2 Bono's a fan you know um, so yeah the U2 the well, alarm Mike, Mike's been on Mike's been on the podcast oh was he uh, a few episodes did, did, he, yeah, yeah, Mike, did he mention Mike's... me he mentioned being on sixty-eight, uh, uh, being on Top of the Pops there's a nice <laughs> little story about, about their first Top of the Pops appearance um so um, yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a nice it's a nice episode. Um, it t- it ca- came on to talk about uh, the Color Sand project with um, Billy oh, Duffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I was one of my favourite um, gigs at the Falcon in Camden was Color Sound in '98, I think it was. Absolutely. Sweat- he talks about talks about that on the show as well. Yeah. Oh right, okay, yeah, I was there. But yeah, I mean, I've got to know my people say you shouldn't sort of meet your heroes, but that is kind of bollocks, really, because my peers is you know is a legend. Um, I actually go. Very nice. I can actually yeah. say I know him pretty well. Well, we are we are pretty much at the the coming up to the hour mark, Pete. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna. Wow, wrap. really? Yeah, we are, <laughs> believe it or not, we are. And so we, we'll 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 draw things to a close. Um, but could you um could you just introduce the songs that we that we're gonna hear um at, at now and why you've chosen them, given the well hundreds of songs that there are across the the 13 Farmer Groove releases, um, how you've met, what the significance of the two tracks that you've chosen are. The, the very first Farmer Groove was opened by um, After the Dream. Um, it's just, I've been symmetrical, really, because it's the very first track on the very first one. 
And then my second track, my choice, is um, Magic Fire with um, Carry Your Own Weight, which is uh, their massive stadium. They, they, they played Guildfest, and that's a, that's, that's a rock stadium, isn't it? So you know, they, they, they should have played Glastonbury with this song. It's just an amazing, lighter in the air, um, goosebumpy kind of song. Um, the echoes of uh, Coldplay and Sober Troll and uh, U2, but no, not original, but what is these days, really? Um, um, so, yeah, it's 30 years ago, and then sort of April 91 with After the Dream, then April 2021 with Magic Fire. So that's kind of, I mean, I could have, I mean, it's like having your favourite child, isn't it? I, you, know, you can't, you know, pick your favourite, can you? Actually, you probably could, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say the ones that I like the most rather than the ones I don't like, sort of thing. But there's a few tough songs on there. It's about to be in there, you know. So, but yeah, after the dream was just a cracking song. As is um, Antic Fire, really. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Okay, brilliant. Great to talk.
So carry your own weight To trust in love this time I'll always forgive you This is not the end So carry your own weight Trust in love this time I'll always forgive you Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 